Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Afton of Linksfield Shul. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you today. I hope you're well. I hope you're healthy. I hope we find each other in the good times because that's what we all need, better times. And we just finished the three weeks. We finished the time of mourning. We're heading into light. Um, tonight is the 15th of Av, a beautiful holiday in the Jewish calendar, so much so that according to tradition, it says in the Mishnah that it was there were no greater days of Jewish celebration in the temple times than Yom Kippur which most people can't think of celebration, but indeed it was a time of celebration, of cleansing, and of Hamisha of the 15th of Av, which is tonight and tomorrow. So it's a good energy time. It's a good time to hopefully bring things in a bit of a lighter energy as we get closer to the month of Elul and that whole level of seriousness, not sadness, seriousness that leads into Rosh Hashanah and then the joy and then the Sukkot, the whole experience. But, well, the way you're rushing, here we're... Right here we are today, the 14th of El, the 14th of, of sorry, um, 1st of August. And it's a good time to, to chat about an interesting experience that I had last week, Sunday a week ago. Um, many locals drove to the East Rand to the Benoni Shul, to the Benoni Hebrew Congregation, for what was called the deconsecration, basically the official closing of the Benoni Jewish community after 116 years, I believe, 116 years of Jewish leadership and life in that beautiful area, in that beautiful suburb. And it was an emotional experience, although I didn't grow up in Benoni, many people that come to my shul did um, and we had the honor to receive the Torah from the Benoni Shul. So it was a, a, a strong connection and a, a very good reason to go spend Sunday afternoon um, at the ceremony that honored generations, four or five generations of people who built and kept the community. Eventually they built a school that lasted a few decades and then the school closed down and they moved from a big building to a small building in the Shul. But... There we were saying a, a farewell to the show. And it was very moving and a very honorable crowd that came to say goodbye. And obviously all those who were there had various feelings. It was the final community to close on the East Rand, right? Many shows, my wife, her, her father, my in-laws were the last Rabbi Rebetzin in the Springs community, but that closed over two decades ago, um, there was obviously Boxburg and Germiston, and I'm sorry for all those. <laughs> I'm, I'm not mentioning all of them. Um, I don't know that area that well, but uh, yeah, it was it was the last shul to close down. Brackpan was the last shul to close down in that area, and end of an era. And obviously, you know, some of the thoughts and some of the conversations were about so sad, other people saying it's inevitable. Um, but there was all, for everyone, there was a deep appreciation of the role these communities played 
in forming generations of solid, um, wholesome people and communities. Whenever I meet someone that grew up in the East Rand, they'll be the first to tell you, Rabbi, there was something special about growing up in the country communities, whether it was the East Rand or other communities, but specifically I found to be an incredible pride of people who grew up in East Rand communities um, telling you that there was nothing like it. And that stimulated a lot of thoughts. And that's what I want to share with you today, some of the thoughts and some of the conversations, because it's only a moment of when you bring things full circle and when you fully acknowledge the contribution that various communities make, um, that you realize how big is the loss when these communities go. And that is not only a sentimental thought, it's a, it's a very powerful thought about the future of our community as well. I'm saying the wider South African Jewish community, the wider South African community, um, where we have to ask ourselves as we, you know, some people see it their mandate to facilitate um, the exodus of people from the community, to encourage people to leave. And they feel like they're doing a favor, and I'm not here to judge anyone's motives. Right? One of the great lessons in life is don't judge people's motives. Just talk about whether the behavior, in your opinion, is right or wrong. In other words, many things can be done that are not necessarily lead to good outcomes from very good motives. So when we're discussing, you know, the, the convers, the, any conversation, it's important to be able to separate and say, okay, no one's judging motives. I'm sure many of the people who are pushing people to emigrate, to leave, um, to whatever country it is, um, their motives are pure. They're doing it out of love. They're worried for their family, etc. But I often wonder, do they realize what's at stake? There's actually a fascinating communication that, that was published recently between the South African, I think, Jewish Zionist Fed or Jewish Board of Deputies, I stand to be corrected, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1980 and 81, during the times of Menachem Begin, um, and them challenging the Rebbe on his opinion that you know, that he, he didn't encourage that strong aliyah from South African community. He felt that it's detrimental to push it very hard. Obviously for individuals, there's a role to play, but as a community, to encourage the community to break apart and move elsewhere, um, do, he, he really encouraged them to rethink it. And they obviously didn't agree with it. And it was a back and forth, quite intense communication. And eventually they actually felt that uh, they can't win the Rebbe over. So they copied the whole communication and they sent it to Menachem Begin. Um, I haven't seen in the communication anything about whether Menachem Begin read it or his opinions about it, but they literally felt like, Rabbi, we disagree with your opinion, so we're going to send your communication directly to Menachem Begin, the Prime Minister of Israel, so he can give his opinion about your opinion of Aliyah. Obviously, as a Chabadnik, I found it slightly disrespectful, but uh, fine, you know, to each their own. That's what they, they felt they had to do. But it was a fascinating communication going back already 42, 43 years ago. If, and I'm sure those letters were, came after m- many previous communications within the, lo- within the local Chabad community and wider community about it. So this conversation has been going pretty much since forever, definitely since the establishment of the State of Israel. Um, the paradox of do you encourage people to leave and at what cost? But that's Aliyah, which at least 
um, has a, a moral attribute, making Aliyah going to the Holy Land, there's no question it's a mitzvah, and it plays a role. And, and still there's a debate, but when we talk about other places, whether it's Australia, England, whatever it is, and then there's no moral obligation and there's, uh, the, there's no mitzvah there, then the, 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 the conversation always has to be had. And when you see communities shut down like the Benoni community, and you see what is being lost. Obviously, some things are inevitable. People will move from the East Rand to the, you know, to the northern suburbs. That happens. I get it. Um, but we we often don't think about what we lose before we just decide to be part of an emigration, but before we decide to semigrate, before we decide to close down the center before we decide to, to move on for our own pursuit without realizing the wider consequence on the people around us, right? Often when people have the conversation about emigrating, semigrating, or moving even from one suburb to the next, the question is, where will I be the happiest? But from a moral standpoint, you have to question that. Is that really the question? Is that the only question? I'm not saying it's not a question. I'm not saying it's, it's not a factor. Is it the factor? Shouldn't the factor be where I could add the most value? Isn't that, isn't that the most important factor in every decision in life? Not only where I live, where's my value? Where does God need me? Where does the community need me? Where am I offering value? Not where will I be the happiest? First of all, because I don't have a clue where I'll be the happiest. And second of all, that's a very selfish reason. Obviously, I can't go to a place that I'm miserable. But the biggest factor is not where I'll be happy. The biggest factor is where I will add value. And that's really a thought I want to explore today. Um, quite a few stories about it. Um, I, I believe it's a fundamental theme that we have to talk about in our community consistently because emigration never gets off the table in this community. Um, as one of the Jewish leaders here in the town told me, he says, every 18 months there's a new crisis. Um, that gets people to say, oh, this crisis, it's corruption, it's load shedding, it's COVID, it's this, it's that, it's the ANC, it's this party, it's that party, um, it's the EFF, etc. It's, um, there's always a good reason. Now, thank God it's the weather, but there's always a good reason to leave. And my argument is there's never, almost never a good reason to leave. Because the only question that I have to ask every day is where God needs me. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. Um, you fall down and you get back up. That's really the great message after the three weeks. Um, in just a few minutes, we'll be playing another fun song. Every year it's a great tzaddik. It's a bit of a childish song with a good message, but... He, for now, here we are on this radio show, The Fabringen, and we're talking today about when a person has a question in life, where to live, or many other factors. The fundamental question is where God wants me, not where I think I want to be. And when you ask that question, it leads to very different decisions. I remember as a child, um, so I grew up in Brooklyn, you could hear from my accent, um, there's some people in my community that literally will walk over to me and say, Rabbi, say coffee. I want to hear how you say coffee. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm trying. I've lived here for 13 years. I just can't get some of the accent. Sorry. Um, so I grew up in Brooklyn, and where I lived, there was a, a pretty strong center, a Jewish community, Crown Heights. And south of where we lived was a place called East Flatbush. 
today, interesting, it's become gentrified again, and many people live there, um, and a lot of people that can't find housing in Crown Heights have moved south. It's about uh, two kilometers from Crown Heights, from where, from the center of Crown Heights. It's not that far, but uh, it was a very different area. It had gone down. And yet there was this rabbi that, uh, just a, a, a rabbi that he was actually grew up in Russia, um, and he had moved there in the 40s or 50s when he emigrated from uh, from from the Soviet Union. He lived there. It was still then a, a Jewish area. Then it pretty much um, totally lost its its character for quite a few decades. It became very very uh, um, very crime ridden, etc. But he stayed in the area, and he couldn't even get a minion. So each morning they would import guys to come help his get his minion because there wasn't enough Jews in the area to bring a minion. And I had the privilege, um, he was like the, actually the head, he was the dean of our school. Um, but he wouldn't leave. Why? Because Lubavitcher Rebbe, who he followed, said, you, don't, you never leave. You keep on holding till literally you, you don't have a choice, you stay. So he kept on, he said there was five, ten Jews in the area, whatever it was. He's keeping the shul going. He's keeping his center going. So we would drive every day. In, the, in 1998, I remember, or 1999, we would drive every day to make his minion. And that's because you don't leave. And uh, the, just this week, I saw this fascinating video of a, a bunch of collection of people that spoke to the Rebbe, people that lived in New Jersey in a suburb that was not religious enough for them. And they said, can we move to an area that's more religious? The Rebbe says, no, because where you need, obviously you could do what you want. He never took away people's free will. But he said, if you want to follow my advice, where you need it, you're needed there because you could add value. And that was the fundamental perspective in every area. I mean, even Crown Heights, where I grew up, um, in the 50s and 60s, it was saturated with Jews. And then um, the area started changing, and every other Jewish community outside Chabad left. And the whole demographic changed in all four directions. It was like a little Jewish area surrounded by a very different demographic. Um, Caribbeans and, and many others. And it caused a tremendous amount of tension because, the, you know, the, the people that lived in the area didn't like the fact that the Jews stayed in this little, in their little um, suburb surrounded by everybody. There was violence. There was a, a famous, um, a pogrom, I could call a pogrom, the 1991 Crown Heights riots, which I lived through, um, witnessed as a child. Um, the whole area, like, it, it, everyone else left. And Lubavitcher Rebbe in the 60s and 70s, when the, the crime was crazy, there were murders, people were being killed on, on the streets. And the Rebbe says, we don't leave. You don't leave. You don't just cave in. Just when life gets hard, you don't. Today, the whole area has changed. Um, as I said, Crown Heights has expanded in all four directions, but other areas also expanded. And now the whole area is a much, a very different area, very, very gentrified and yuppie and etc. But the point is, it's you don't leave. Now, for many people, that sounds like a ridiculous idea. What do you mean? The second you have a little challenge, you pack up and leave. And then they bring examples of 1930s in Germany. What do you mean? The people left, and they're like. It's very dangerous to bring historical examples that are not 100% accurate, right? There is nowhere today that is like the 1930s in Germany. 
and to compare it is, is unfair and it's, it's unjustification, it's unjustified to what actually was then. Um, staying in South Africa now is not, heaven forbid, even remotely connected to staying in Germany in the 1930s. The f- first and foremost is uh, there's the state of Israel, which is the, the biggest change. And South Africa is a democracy. It's a beautiful place to live. It has its challenges. Some of which I lived through personally. But it's not the same. But this idea of just getting and packing your bags and leaving because the grass might be greener or you're told it's greener. First of all, you don't run because you just don't run. It's not a good character trait to get up and run. But second of all, where you need it. What's like I've seen in, in, in our community in the, like just, you know, one, in one show. Thank God there hasn't been that much immigration, but I've seen with my own eyes how when certain people leave, who have status in the community or respected in the community or popular in the community, it it causes a huge um, deflation in many people's hearts. It causes it it, it 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 puts people down. It makes them question. It makes them unsettled. And who's willing to take responsibility for that? In other words, someone you, you, you're, we don't live in a world where someone's allowed to say, "Hey, I come first. You could say that. You, obviously, you have to take care of your own life. But first, and that's the only factor, there's a lot of other factors. We don't live in a vacuum. We have to consider how our move has on others. Besides the fact that it's rare, and I'm going to put myself on record on something that I'm sure is not popular, it's rare that people emigrate and add equal value to the place they emigrate as the place they came from. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's rare. It takes a long time for them to acclimatize, long time for them to build up the, the, the status in the community, the influence in the community, and the value. Besides the fact of what it does, forget about the community, what it does to the families. I'm not saying never. There's a, there's a time and place for everything under the sun. But... We can't just allow things to disintegrate and fall fall apart just because we want to move on. And the reason I was inspired to talk about this today, first of all, because it never stops being a conversation topic in the community, but also because standing there at the, the closing, at the deconsecration of, this, of the Benoni Jewish community, I realized we have so much to lose. I believe that the South African Jewish community is the most amazing Jewish community in the world. It has incredible, incredible strengths to it. I'm not saying there's no faults. I mean, every community has faults. But I think its strengths are unique. The fact that there are faults, everyone has faults. That's not what makes a community unique. What makes it unique is its strengths. And the strengths that this community has are unparalleled. There's no other place that has it. Its strong identity it's community-centric um, shuls and, and organizations. It's that's why wherever South Africans do emigrate, they they try to create something in the image of South Africa. They rarely come to Australia and say, "Oh, Australian Judaism, you're really what I want." Oh, how about let's just adapt to what you guys have? No, they'll come and create South African shuls in Atlanta, in Toronto, in Australia, in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Perth, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, trying to to recreate. Because what they, they know they have something here. I was just talking to someone who made Aliyah 
And he was telling me, like, he lives somewhere in the center of Israel, and the South Africans dominate that community because they, they know that what they had was special. So the small towns were special. The, the, the East Rand was special. But this community in general is special. And before we allow it to disintegrate smaller, I mean, it's already a third of what it was at its prime, I would turn to any person willing to listen and say, are you aware of what you're allowing uh, allowing to be lost? By you moving, by you diminishing this community even more, do you realize that the whole Jewish world suffers for that? And I, I, I'm, it's not hyperbole, at least in my opinion. I believe it's accurate. The Jewish world needs South African jury to be as a guiding light, to serve as a, a, a compass of what a beautiful, tolerant orthodoxy, a united community is. Obviously, different opinions in this, and, and there's always been a scandal or two, but fundamentally a community that still always comes back together, a community of respect, a community that values tradition, a community with magnificent schools across the whole spectrum of Jewish life, but all who are committed to similar values. This is a gift to the Jewish world. And every day I feel privileged to be able to be South African by choice. Because there's no place like it. I came from this, you know, the, at the time it was the largest Jewish community in the world, the United States. Today they say Israel is, but it's pretty much equal numbers. I came to one of the smallest Jewish communities in the world, or smaller. But in terms of, of showing what Judaism to be, ought to be in the modern world, I think South Africa is a much better example than America. And it's a privilege to be able to be part of that journey. I hope you feel the same. This is 101.9, Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9, Chai FM. Where am I needed? Where am I needed? That's really the question. That's the way a tzaddik lives. That's the way a, a, a moral choice is made. Right? We've shared before the famous story of a fellow who came to Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the author of the Tanya. And uh, he, had a, he had a list of complaints. He had previously been wealthy, and he had made many financial commitments in his wealth. So he comes to his rabbi and he says, Rabbi, I need my money back. I need my wealth. I need my opportunity to be able to impact people. I need it, please. I need, I need, I need. Now, he wasn't being a selfish person, but whatever, that's where his headspace was. This is what he needs, right? And Rabbi Shneur Zalman looks at him in a sing-song. He says... You mention what you need, what you need, but I hear no mention of what you're needed for. Said it in Yiddish. But that was the message. There's a difference between what you need and what you're needed for. Add an extra ed after a need, and it's a whole different word. Right? A lot of things we think we need. We come to God each day. And we tell God what we think we need. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, right? God, give me healing. Give me sustenance. Way of making a living. Give me nachas for my kids. 
help me find a marriage partner, help me find serenity, help me with my physical health and my mental health, and help me with relationships and friendships, and help me with wisdom, and help me study, whatever our requests are. Help me, help me, here's what I need. There's a much more important question. That is where am I needed for? Where does God want me? And the first hint is where you are right now. Right? Where does God want you? Chances are He wants you, sorry, He wants you in the marriage that you're in now. Unless there's abuse, or a really justified reason, that's where He wants you. He wants you in the place you live. Chances are an occupation. Again, there are, every rule has exceptions. But on the most part, you want to know where God wants you, where He placed you. That's where He wants you. If God really thought you would be a fantastic Australian, maybe He would have make you be born in Australia, maybe. Or marry one. So the first point of call whenever we make a decision is, one second, let me try. Obviously, we'd never know what God really wants from us, but there are certain guesses, there's pretty strong hints. You're a strong positive influence in your community. You're the rock of your family. You play a huge role in there. Chances are that's where God wants you to be. You could pretty much assume. You might feel otherwise. What do you all do, Right? We all question ourselves. Am I in my right job? Did I make the right choice in marriage? But often those questions don't lead to peace. I used to believe very much in my own personal life. I believed very much in questioning everything. Everything should be questioned. And I'm not against it now, but I still, but like I've, at least as I'm slowly growing up, I'm realizing that certain things need to be engraved in stone beyond being questioned. Because someone who questions everything and doesn't have a strong foundation, they're never settled. Because everything's up for debate. Everything's up for conversation. Everything's up for questioning. And that's what the world actually has done today. Nothing is settled. Every single thing that previous generations had settled, um, who people are, how they identify themselves, etc. has been thrown out the window today because they you question everything about yourself. Nothing is taken assume, right? You can identify as anything you want, anyone you want to be. Because nothing's settled. But you have to wonder, does that lead to happiness? A world where everything is questioned, has it led to a more stable world? Has it led to a world with less anxiety? Has it led to a world with less suicidality? Suicidality? Has it led to a world with more stable relationships? I don't think so. What do you? Because when you question everything, when nothing's settled, when you, when you don't just accept, okay, this is where I belong. This is the person I belong with. This is who I am. This is my identity. This is my gender. When everything's up to debate, it usually does not lead to more serenity.
What are your thoughts? 34519, this is 101.9, Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9, Chai FM. So, so this is 101.9, Chai FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtson coming for the final segment. Um, we're just six weeks, sorry, six weeks away from Rosh Hashanah. 15th of Av tonight. Special time in the calendar, time of light. Here in South Africa, we're slowly turning the corner, hopefully, and we'll go back to some warmth, physical warmth. And um, it's a time of positivity. Yes, there are challenges, and yes, there's pain and loss, but there's also rebirth and a new a, a new direction, a new energy. I encourage us all to. Live with more serenity. More, stop sitting on the fence on every single issue, specifically on the topic we spoke about today, immigration. Just live. Live with this faith that God knows best and it'll be okay. And we all have a role to play here. Every one of us that decides to stay in this community is playing a role in keeping this community alive just one more day, one more year, one more generation. And for some people, they think, oh, big deal. So if the South African Jewish community, if the South African community closed down tomorrow and we shut down the lights, it wouldn't be a loss. Big deal. There's other communities. I could proudly say I totally disagree with that view. It would be an incredible tragedy if this community ever died. It would be a loss for the whole Jewish world. And it would be a loss of what, of what Judaism could be. And each day that you decide to stay here and keep this community alive and vibrant, you're, you're proudly keeping alive and showing the Jewish world what Judaism can be. And you can feel very proud of it. I'm proud to be this part of this community. I hope you're too. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Finish off with a beautiful song, Hadur Na'e, Naftali Kempa, and Amichai Pelser on 101.9 Chai FM.